You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. B2B sales and marketing works to find the highest quality prospects, reach decision makers, and sell value. Operational excellence uses data and systems thinking to make changes that cause improvement and eliminate waste. My name is Michael Webb, and this is the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. In the next 30 to 40 minutes, we're going to destroy the myth that these two groups conflict and show you how to bring both strategies together to create more wealth for your company and your customers. Good morning, everyone. I am pleased to bring you my guest today, Bruce Hamilton. I met Bruce several years ago at a Shingo conference. And Bruce has, well, Bruce, let me just give you a a chance to explain your background to my audience. It's largely sales managers and and company presidents, many of whom may not be familiar with the kind of work you do and much less the Shingo Institute. So take a couple of minutes and describe your background. Thank you. And uh, good morning, everyone. I appreciate whoever's joining in. Appreciate you being out there. I've been in a number of different careers in business. Started out actually in sales promotion and spent seven years there. And I loved that position, actually. And oddly, my interest in problem solving led me to IT. So I spent seven more years in IT, thinking that maybe the some of the issues we had in sales and marketing would be solved through IT. And so the bad news is it's not really a panacea. I learned a, a lot about IT, however, and those kinds of problems. While information technology has changed remarkably since I was in that position, a lot of the thoughts behind computer systems have not so much. It's more or less has to do with the speed and scale that we have today, but the basic algorithms, as we say, not remarkably different. But systems led me into materials management. I worked in a manufacturing company, and at the time we were implementing MRP, and it was not actually doing much for us. And so I ended up transitioning from uh, computer systems to manufacturing. Never spent any time in manufacturing, not even in the manufacturing building. So really? this was a was an eye-opener for me, definitely. It was a world of pain with many problems, some of them actually caused by the computer systems that I was <laughs> involved with. And that brought me to the Shingo Prize, incidentally. We were a company that had a lot of issues. We couldn't deliver on time. Our profits were, like many companies back in the 70s and early 80s, our our profits were flagging and we were trying to find ways uh, to get around that. You know, when I was in sales and marketing, we raised prices twice a year. You know, and we pat ourselves on the back about how our sales were increasing, but they actually weren't. We were just printing prices. And so, so now I suddenly found myself on kind of a different side of the coin. Still with that thinking in mind from sales and marketing and focused on the customer. But I noticed I joined an organization that actually was shielded from the customer, had very little to do with the customer. And this created its own set of headaches. But Shingo Prize, and particularly the ideas of Shingio Shingo and some of the other, they're not all Japanese. A lot of them came out of the U.S. But a lot of that thinking was critical for me. And it was just my good luck that since I had no background in manufacturing, I had no biases. And therefore, I started to study this. And that led to a a prize for, uh, award of a prize for our company in 1990. And there were some remarkable improvements. They were not, I mean, we still had, we were still awful, but we'd made an awful lot of improvement. That, in fact, led to some attention back in 1990 from Toyota, who at the time was 
for purposes of trying to be a good corporate citizen and trying to overcome an image of, you know, sort of taking jobs, which, you know, killing American auto manufacturing, which they didn't really need any help. They were kind of hurting themselves. They helped us out for five years. And it was exciting, very exciting. You know, they felt like, as they like to put it, being dragged through a keyhole. So there was this technical knowledge from Shingo and some a lot about behaviors of people. And then dealing with the folks from Toyota, understanding what management's role was in this, because I was not to- totally clear about that, about how the whole thing fit together. It's a it's a whole system. It's not just one thing or another, one piece. We often talk about lean as it's, it's a bunch of pieces, and that can create a lot of confusion and misunderstanding, because unless you're looking at it as a whole, you don't really get a f- really a decent understanding. That finally led me into general management. And at that point, I was back actually working with sales. So I started out sales, and I kind of ended up in sales. Then 20 years ago, hard to believe, 20 years ago, I uh, quit my job, loved the company, it was doing okay, but I got so excited about continuous improvement. And actually, I think it was my interaction with the Shingo Prize and the Shingo Institute and getting to go out and visit other companies and not just in manufacturing, but in lots of kinds of different businesses, yeah, yeah. that it was, it was exciting to, uh, to do that. So I became a consultant. And that's where I am today. I work for a not-for-profit organization that's been around since 1994. And it's our mission to keep good jobs predominantly here in the U.S. We're parochial that way. Don't begrudge anyone else, but we like the idea of uh, you know, overcoming challenges that we have, in particular in our own region. So that's me and happy to be with you today. Looking back on that, a couple of points, I guess, to ask about, because I'm similar age to you, right? And so I went through different, coming from the sales background, but during this period of time when first mainframe computers and then mini computers and then microcomputers, right, were upending the way businesses managed themselves. And I remember observing, and I wondered if you did this too back in your days of IT, The IT department, I remember realizing, wait a second, if you're going to have a computer that's going to be able to do all these real fast calculations and make reports, and people from all over the company are putting information in, then that means everybody has to define their terms exactly the same way. And that's not the way it works right now. That's a revolution right? Mm -hmm. to help people find things, right? Because that's one of the reasons that computer systems didn't work. That was true back then and still true today. I mean, different or parts of an organization, we talk about language barriers, but, you know, sort of English versus Spanish or Vietnamese, but there's huge language barriers between engineering and sales. And when I was in sales that released, when we would, we would say it was released in sales promotion, that meant that there was a concept on paper and we were going to take it to a trade show. Uh, Whereas released in purchasing meant we purchased all the parts. Released in engineering meant we, we finished the prototype. And, you know, so every part of the organization had a different definition. They were all kind of wrong. Yes. Uh, And and, and this, the computer system then tries to um, codify this, but the codes are all messed up. And, you know, one of the better parts of MRP that I participated in was that it actually forced us to ask the questions. Ollie White, who was an early leader, liked to say that it's it's a people system which utilizes a computer. And he emphasized all people. This is probably the first time, I think, in my company where sales felt they had any connection to what was happening in operations. And it was pretty reluctant, too. It was like they felt like you're putting us on the spot. Forecasts are very difficult, you know. And, and uh, of course, because of the, let's say, less than 
friendly relationship between sales and operations, they're kind of immediately on the defensive. So a lot of those conditions persist today. Organizations are, you know, siloed is a popular word. I used to say compartmentalized. We're all kind of in our own little cubbies and uh, we don't get out much, even if there aren't physical walls, we just don't go to certain areas. So the language is kind of messed up. Computer systems take that language and they make it look official. And once it comes out of computer, it must be right. And of course, uh, you know, back in the 70s, I, I honestly did not have a concept. There was a guy back then called James Martin who was a futurist. And he talked about back before there was even a hint of a laptop. He talked about that. And he talked about communication. He talked about computers and devices. But it didn't really hit me for like 20 years, most of us. And that's where we are now. What we've got is this connectivity and more processing power. And that you know, certainly it amplifies the opportunities, but it also amplifies the misunderstandings. It's yeah. kind of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then to build on that, because I went a kind of a similar path, only I was selling MRP systems for a while, you know, integrated yeah. accounting, wholesale distribution, and, and then production control, cost accounting systems, yeah. and like that. And it was very eye opening for me to learn just how complex things were inside a production facility. And I was fortunate enough in high school and college to work in a couple of manufacturing plants. And my goodness, you know, your eyes open up to all this stuff. And yeah. if you haven't been in that before, you don't realize the complexity of it. Yeah, it surely is. You know, there's complexity in every system. There's complexity in sales systems. Some of it's just because things are complicated. And some of it's because we make it unnecessarily complicated you know, in any system. As you help companies to improve in their profitability, their quality, their performance, a lot of it has to do with helping those people like understand each other, right? And what their words mean. I'm guessing that's a key element. I know the Shingo model focuses a lot on respect for people and drawing yeah. out of people what they think and thinking jointly together. Why don't you cover that? It's not the only thing. And the Shingo model focuses heavily on it, and it adds a lot to the opportunity for improvement. But I think you need to be careful that it's not just that. There actually are some concepts which are hard to wrap your head around and some tools which seem crazy at first glance. And so you need to get to be able to lead the horse to water, okay? And it's often difficult if you haven't actually tried it. And this is where the interpersonal relationships become really important. Like dialogue is a really important word for me. It's so easy to, the minute it's an argument, we're just back to where we always were. It's, it's us and them. And that's where most organizations start. You know, as a Shingo Prize examiner, I listen for those two words or the, like the, those kinds of words totally all the time. Because the minute I hear them I know that there's issues with uh, interpersonal relationships, and I want to know who, who them is. Who are they? Could be management, could be other departments, could be the customers, it could be the employees. And so if we are looking at this as a whole, we need to have more of a shared understanding. And, you know, that's, that's where the, uh, you know, the interpersonal relationships become so important. Since you spend a lot of time in production facilities and your focus is largely with management of those facilities, but you've what was interesting, your sales background and many of your customers, your clients, end up needing to engage the sales departments. I guess two questions on that. Why does that happen? 
And then what are some of the special problems that you've run into as you tried to do that? There isn't a single answer for that. First off, not every organization has the same problems. Organizations can be very different, different types of organizations. And they all kind of look, you know, you'd mentioned how you were surprised how complex uh, systems could be in manufacturing. Sometimes that's easy to understand if it's, uh, you know, if you're building a, you know, a jetliner, it'd be easy to say that's pretty complex. But if you're bottling water, you would say, yeah, that's, nobody should mess that up. In fact, each system has got its own kind of conditions and problems. And those problems are not just on the production floor. You know, coming out of sales, I think, and sales promotion, I'm a very top line oriented guy. You know, I learned early along that management is much more interested in what you can do to improve the top line than what you can do to save money. Not that I think saving money is unimportant, but and unfortunately, a lot of things that organizations do to save money don't really make sense. They only save it on paper. That resonates particularly well with sales because sales is charged with creating revenue. Okay, so what can we do to help sales create revenue? And there's a number of things, you know, like margin flexibility is a really big deal, particularly today. A lot of companies just sort of give up on certain segments of the market because they feel they can't compete. And they can't compete because they haven't managed to get that connection between what the customer needs and what operations can provide. And engineering, by the way, it's not just, you know, not just production. So that's one thing, margin flexibility. Another thing is just things that that are specific to salespeople, territory management. And oftentimes that hasn't been looked at at all. You know, it was set up when uh, certain areas of the country were not populated and had no industry. And now things have changed, particularly for older companies. And it's never been looked at. So you got one person, salesperson who's out there trying to cover, you know, a, a million square miles and another one who's basically rolling around in a neighborhood. There's so many different things in sales, like distribution policy, like pricing, mm-hmm. like discounting. All of those things, they're all systems which are important to salespeople. So, so it's not so much finding a problem. It's more a matter of, well, what do you work on first? It's no different than working in operations. Yeah, we got lots of things we could fix, but what's bothering you the most? It's, that's the WIFM that you were talking about before we started. Which you have to find with any group of people if you're going to get them. That's right. Right. So in all my years in sales, four different industries, a bunch of companies, and then consulting with hundreds of companies, you find that the sales department is often just like all by its lonesome. Yeah, we we need to improve sales. So what do we need? We need sales training. So they hire these real expensive sales trainers because after all, if they weren't good salespeople, they they would be cheap. (laughs) So, So we teach the salespeople the magic words and they go out and they do their best to implement it. And then a year later, it doesn't really look like much has changed and the sales department is still trying to push more proposals and more orders and and um it's a it's a tough thing that's just the way sales is managed why is it that sales from what you've seen why is it that there's this division in companies between how sales is managed versus how the rest of the company is thought of as a system i'm gonna maybe answer this in kind of an oblique way Salespeople and production workers have something in common they do they're measured by their output and it's out there in hard numbers. You may feel it's unfair, but there it is. Other departments, you know, not so much. Can't really, hard to measure some other departments that way. You know, I worked in uh, in sales promotion and geez, nobody could really figure out how to measure us. It was like, you know, how many leads do we get? How many qualified leads? But salespeople, they have sales quotas, things that they're supposed to hit. They have these bogeys. 
And that's what they would like. They'd like to figure out how to do that better. So in that respect, sales isn't really too much different than other organizations. I think as a whole, we continue to have a misconception that all the problems and all the opportunities are in operations. So that's something to get by, you know, and that's why I say, let's, let's focus on pain first. Not saying that people are doing a bad job because, you know, that's what you hear in manufacturing. You're going, oh, you're saying we're doing a bad job. When you say waste, you're saying I'm wasting time. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's things that get in the way of your work. That's what that toast video was about. You know, I know for those of you who have seen the toast video, it's just about somebody trying to provide a service or a good and struggling to do it. Has these problems, information problems, don't have the right equipment, don't have the right instruction. So for sales, like oftentimes, uh, I know in my own sales organization, the thing that they hated most was groveling. They did not want to waste their valuable time apologizing, making excuses. First of all, they couldn't sell when they were doing it. And second of all, it just felt awful. That's not what they're being rewarded for. So we focused on that. And of course, that goes right back to operations. What are those problems? Let's get specific. You know, what can we do for you? Is it late delivery? Is it quality? There's this image that you often hear in Lean of the problem funnel of taking a vague general problem and boiling it down to something specific and then fixing that. Okay, so that has two benefits. One is it gives me a little bit of my whiffum because something got better. And second of all, it gives me an idea that there's a process which can make things get better generally. Okay, and that in fact, in order for that to happen, we probably need to work together on this. Can't do it alone. Each of us has some significant part of the solution to the problem. But if I'm sales now, you know, sales is the front line. Sales is our front line. And I'm talking about the field, people who are in the field, not so much the folks who are in the office handling complaints and taking the orders and so forth. And they're very important too. But I'm talking about the people who are out in the field. They're out there alone. Something didn't happen right. They got to deal with it. They don't want to be doing that at all. That's not sales. It's, it's like rework. People in production hate rework. There's no plus in it. And then they get punished for it. They're, it's like it's their fault or something. So in that sense, I think even though salespersons, you know, it's a tough job. It's a tough job being out there and having to answer for anything that happens, having yeah. to put your best face on every single day, even when things are not working, working with systems that don't work. I called that order in. Where'd that order go? You know, that <laughs> pricing is all wrong. All those things that go wrong, very frustrating to them. So I think there is, it's more a matter of just getting folks the same, you know, anybody, it doesn't matter which occupation you're in. You know, I say in that Toast video, it's not about the work. It's about all the things that get in the way of the work. It's all those things every day which just give me a headache. And, you know, there's you can't find anybody who can't give you a long list of those. And by the way, we will include a link to the, the Toast video, uh, very well worth watching in the, uh, the show notes. When I work with sales organizations, uh, one of the things you talked about leading the horse to water. One of the things we have to get them to recognize is that whether you created value or waste in sales, you, you have a number at the end of the quarter, whether you made your number, but all the work that led up to that, which part of its value, which part of its waste, that's invisible. You have to invent a way, you have to develop a way to determine whether we're wasting our time 
uh, or whether we're creating value and whether that value is for us or whether it's for the customer. We have to do things with the salespeople to help them sort of have an experience that says, oh, golly, I guess when I use the word customer, I'm referring to somebody different than you. What other terms might we have to define, right? Do you have the same kind of thing when you're doing that with production folks or when you start working with order entry or customer service or salespeople too? Have you, have you gone through the same thing? There's a kind of a spectrum, particularly I think in smaller companies, there's pretty good understanding of who the customer is. There's a shared understanding of the customer. In smaller companies, yes, yes. Larger companies, even there, I think if uh, some, many organizations that we work with, yeah, I guess I have to qualify. If we're just starting out with an organization, usually operations is removed, maybe twice removed from the customer. Their idea of the customer, in the worst case, they see the customer as the problem. You have that kind of belief. I don't know if I'm answering your question here. It's not hard to go into a company and say to one department, well, who's the customer? And they say, well, it's the guy at the distributor who signs a check. Ask another person who's the customer. Well, it's the person who's got their hands on them on our machine and using it yeah. in the shop, right? And somebody else says, well, no, it's the plant manager who's going to benefit from it. I mean, companies that have had some background with TQM will generally say, think of the internal customer as the next process. And they're aware that that leads to someone outside. Once you get outside, it gets a little dicier depending upon the industry. Is your customer the patient? Is your customer the doctor? your customer of the hospital? Is your customer the insurance provider? All of these are, you know, so we like that term stakeholder and it kind of relative to the problem we're trying to serve. We'd like to keep everybody happy. All those customers are important. And I work for an organization that made products that might go into a piece of cooking equipment, but ultimately the customer might've been McDonald's. That's who we're really trying to make happy. The customer for a part that we make could also be the person who's taking that part and assembling it into the product our customer makes. So it doesn't stop at the purchasing department mm-hmm. or at the, you know, at the stock room. It goes right to the person who is going to then need that part. And that's important relative to problem solving. So if there's a problem with a part, it gets tends to get discovered at the point where it's not discovered typically. It might be a, might get discovered on receiving, but it might get discovered when I'm the assembler and I'm trying to put it together and it doesn't work. So if I don't have that frame of mind as my customer, I'm not going to solve the problem. I wrote a post about it called The Salesman's Gemba. And it was about, uh, we made a, a sensor and it was a, a type of RTD sensor. It had three wires. And the three wires had a particular protective coating on them and armor to prevent the wire from being damaged. Okay, But when we manufactured this, we sometimes nicked one of the wires and then that would be rejected at the customer. And we spent hours and hours analyzing the work, trying to figure out how, how we could manufacture that part without nicking it. And it was hard because it wasn't really concentric. So we get into kind of manufacturing issues and we were struggling. We we're getting better, but still the stuff would come back from the customer and nick the wire again. One of our field salesmen from the Midwest was in the plant and we invited him to the meeting. And he asked this question, why do they need the armor? Now that's a question, the armor and the wire. None of us would ask that. It was just a given. He asked the question, why do they need the armor? And I actually traveled to that company with the salesman. And the first person we asked was the buyer. And she pulled out the print. She says the armor is absolutely necessary. But we pursued it onto the floor. And we talked to the person who was assembling it. And he said, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating here. He says, not only do we not need the armor, it's a pain in the neck. 
It's hard to get that armor to thread through when we do the assembly. And when we dug into it, what it was, was it was a repurposed sensor that we had made years before, and they just used the sensor in new equipment. And in the new equipment, A, the armor was not needed, and B, the armor was a problem. So because, because we had all that engagement, and particularly from our field sales guy, we actually reduced the cost of the part because we didn't need the armor anymore, and they got a part that they wanted. So there's a perfect example of how when you have the right interpersonal relationships, you can really solve a problem. In another environment, that would have gone on and on forever. We probably would have lost the customer. Think of an environment where salespeople are measured strictly on revenue production, not on nuanced understanding of what the customer's problem is. That's what a lot of young kids today who go into sales and hired by these companies into telephone boiler rooms and make a million calls a week and it's just push, push, push. There's no real analysis of what, what's the value to the customer. Is there an easier way to get yeah. some attention and, and create something useful for them as a way of getting engaged? Salespeople today are struggling so hard because customers are trying to avoid them. And so they, we had to step back and take a more value-oriented way of redesigning sales processes. Yeah. You know, salespeople have, as I said, have a very hard job. And there's a certain set of skills which are unique to sales. Uh, type of sales training is very valuable. But, you know, like I coached soccer for a while, and, and uh, not that I know much about soccer, but the first thing you do is you teach people how to dribble and you teach them the basic skills. And that's right. essential. You can't play the game if you don't do that. Right. And then there are, you know, tactics that you, how you up, back and around and how you, how you manage the field. And that's important, okay, just as it's important in sales. But then finally, there's this overall strategy of how we're going to win the game and this is typically where organizations tend to, they don't put enough effort into that, okay? And uh, we win the game, as I used to say, we beat better players because we're a better team, because we play as a team. Same story is true in healthcare, manufacturing, anywhere. So exactly. it's our ability to look at the problem from many sides to solve it. As they say at Toyota, I think, we build people before we build cars. The people have to understand each other. They have to understand the, the problems they're trying to solve. They have to use evidence and data instead of opinions and biases and drawing people through that critical thinking. As I understand it, that's management's primary role. So there's another piece behind this, which can make it difficult, uh, Michael, and that is uh, how we're measured. Manufacturing will be measured in such a way that does not necessarily promote good customer service, and you can't blame them for that. It's normal to cherry pick jobs in order to hit a bogey. It's and it just as it's normal in sales to pull orders in that the customer doesn't need, so that they can be customers in that we really don't want. And and, and uh, I don't hold them accountable. It's it's the measurement systems that we use, and this is where senior leadership really really can play a part. They're the only ones who can look at this and say, you know what, well, I'm not going to argue with gap accounting. Look, when we pay our taxes, it's this is how it's done. It's done a certain way. We can't do much about that. So we're not going to fight it. We are just going to fail to take it seriously because we know, because we can see, because we're business people. And we realize that building something just because we want to activate resources is not actually making us money. It's not turning into sales. In fact, it's eaten up our resources that we could use to sell products to our salespeople. You know, one of the first things I tell companies, the non-production departments, 
I tell the financial people, be prepared for an excess of cash. That's the first thing that's going to happen. Because when we stop doing things that we never should have done in the first place, making policy decisions. You know, uh, Ellie Goldratt called them evaporating clouds. It's just like we made yeah. this decision and now we're just not going to do it. Like controller of my former company said, you know, we're just, I think we just need to stop forcing orders at the end of the month so that we look good this month and then have nothing to build the following month. He needed to say that. And once we, that's an evaporating cloud. It was a policy, it was a self-inflicted wound. Yet we were not late to customers. Well, we were late the first of the month because we ran out of parts building things that weren't needed. Right. So that's, that's one kind of thing. And what I say to salespeople is you'd best be prepared to find new markets for all the capacity that we have now. Otherwise, we're going to have that problem of we stopped making things that were not needed. And now we have this capacity. And with this capability, let's make sure that we use it. Let's go out and sell the factory. One of the challenges that I had early along was that people from sales would say, oh, you see what this is doing? Our backlog is dropping. I said, no, no, our backlog is not dropping. We are not forcing customers to order a half a year in advance of when they get the order. We are just the same amount of sales. We are just not forcing companies to make decisions that they really can't make because they don't know. They don't know. As a result, we're putting heavy pressure on our competitors because they still are taking six months to deliver. And guess what? We can do it in a very short period of time. Sell that. And that worked, actually. It worked. After a while, we kind of figured this out. And our marketing program started to talk about how we can deliver you know, very quickly. Customers love that. You know, customers are a good spot to go to get support for this process. And they'll talk to salespeople. It's a great opportunity. When you are leaning out and making the production operation so responsive to the market, I think your point is huge. Now the salespeople have to go out and find new markets and new customers. That is not a trivial thing. Right, no. have a scientific method so that you can be pretty confident in the sales forecast. Pretty yeah. confident. That's, that's the strategy we, I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're beyond tactics now. Uh, where are we going to move? We're going to move out. Are we going to develop new markets? Are we going to develop new products? Are we going to develop new sales channels? Where do we go? And this is what salespeople can and should do. All this critical thinking, respect for people is hugely beneficial. It's the only way that I know of to help organizations actually be more effective. So if someone wants to learn more about your organization, how would they uh, get in touch with you? We are uh, gbmp.org. We're online. Presently, like a lot of organizations, we do a lot of things virtually. You can find us at www.gbmp.org. You can find us uh, at the Shingo Institute as well, since we're an affiliate for the Shingo Institute. If you'd like a few minutes of entertainment once a month, I wrote write a post under the heading of oldleandude.org. And also, if I may, I just make a, a plug for our upcoming conference, which is in October 7 and 8. And it's virtual as well. And it's called 21st Century Lean. All the things that we see in the 21st century, and this has certainly been a rip-roaring 20 years, if you think of it, all the things that we have had to struggle with and the changes and how do we pivot quickly, and we're all trying to do that right now. So the theme was kind of prophetic. We set it up over a year ago. We had no idea what kind of a mess we'd be in right now. That you can find us at northeastleanconference.org. Okay, so there's there's several ways to get in, in touch with us. I'd be happy to chat with anybody. 
so thank you. Uh, I hope that we will see a couple of uh, folks uh, from your listeners at, at the conference and happy to chat with anybody. And I appreciate you uh, asking me to participate with you today, Michael. Well, my pleasure. This has been a great opportunity. Thank you very much. This is really valuable. I'm sure we'll be talking to soon. All right. Thank you, Michael. Peace. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.